0: What do an award-winning filmmaker, the greatest open water swimmer in the world, and a Silicon Valley CEO have in common? They all overcame hurdles, big and small, and took risks to bring their
1: truth and purpose into the world. These are just some of the fascinating people we've been privileged enough to meet throughout our journeys as leadership coaches, business partners, and lifelong friends. And we are so excited to bring their stories to you because we believe that hearing people's stories firsthand has the power to transform, teach, and motivate you to lead from the inside out. Welcome to the Inside
0: Journey. In this upcoming conversation, we are so excited to talk with Stephanie Warnick, a woman who became president of her company at the ripe age
1: of 32. It was fascinating to learn about how her internal journey has led to revolutionary changes within her company. Steph talks about how powerful it's been to seek to understand rather than trying to be understood. She talks about how happiness is a choice and how cultivating a consistent mindfulness practice has transformed her from being a reactionary leader into an inspiring president. Whether you have your own
0: company, are the leader of a team, or the head of your household, we trust that there are leadership lessons within this podcast that you can apply to your own life.
1: Okay, so here we are with Stephanie Wernick, president of Mondo. Staff, we are so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you. Great. Well, we are so excited to get into our conversation. So just really briefly for our listeners. So Mondo is the largest national staffing agency, which specializes exclusively in high-end IT, tech, creative, and digital marketing talent. And it's so fun having you here, Steph, because I feel like I've gotten to witness a lot of your journey. We met uh, four years ago. In 2016, when you were just stepping into the role of VP of sales at 28 years old, and in four years, you have become president, 32 years old, you're one of the most inspiring, courageous, hardworking leaders that we've ever worked with, which is part of why we invited you to join us for this podcast. And not only have you been crushing the numbers, nearly doubling the business since the four years that you stepped into the role of VP of sales, but the thing that Johanna and I have been so inspired by is that you're also on this personal mission to create a people-centric company, which we want to learn more about. We want to go deeper on that. And a company really committed to pushing people to achieve their highest potential And you're really creating a culture at Mondo that's really all about self-awareness and vulnerability and empathy, all while still producing amazing results. Oh, my
0: gosh. Thank you so much, Steph, for being here. It's like the perfect inside journey because I feel like you've had this inside journey creating a company that values internal success and external success and then as we get into our conversation i know you've been on one hell of a journey yourself oh, getting gosh. to this moment in life <laughs> like getting to this very moment that we're talking about so thank you so much for being here yeah so let's start with the the journey at mondo because i think that especially young people at the beginning of their careers they can look at someone like you and think oh well she was just born that way you know she just um she's always been a president or whatever. And you realize it's such a journey. Everything begins small and grows. And, and so we're curious, what year did you start at Mondo? What role were you? What what were you like as a woman? Like, if you can go back in time and think about your, your very beginning journey at Mondo, what was that like?
2: Well, thank you for all of the very nice things that you said. <laughs> and uh, it's crazy to see where we are now from where we started. But So I started in 2012 and I was, um, I came in, we were three offices. I was an account director, which was an entry-level sales role. And Mondo at the time was not what it is today. It had a foundation and it was, it was, it was just not what it was today, but there was definitely a foundation there to work with. And me as a person, as a woman, I was a mess. (laughs)
1: What do you mean you were a mess?
2: In every aspect. I mean, I had an incredible personal life, an incredible husband, an incredible stepson, this amazing, stable home life and personal life. But as a person, it was like really like a coming of age story, like into adulthood and really making a transition of being super immature, starting the journey onto maturity. And that's really the way I look at my journey at Mondo and when I started.
0: Can you give a little bit more description of, a, of what a mess looked like?
2: <laughs> a mess. Oh, let's see. Let's let's see. As a type A personality, I believed that the world revolved around me. Mm. I was right about everything. I oh thought I knew everything about everything. And I think that what I say a mess is, is I just, I had raw like work ethic. And I think I had, you know, obviously some raw talent in in terms of how to be a a good sales professional. But I think when I say a mess, it just, it comes down to my communication. And I just, I just like had this really wrong perception of reality of the world. And I had the right intentions. I just, I was so raw and I needed to be molded and I needed to grow. And I did not know how to generate my energy into the most positive places. And that's just the truth. And so what was
1: the impact of that, of like having that immature kind of egotistical, it sounds like, mindset? What was the impact of that? How did, how did you? What damage did you create? Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what damage did I not create is oh my a gosh. question. Um, no, I think it's, it was just, it was internal suffering all the time. And I think that's what I realized very, very early on is I could continue to behave in certain ways. And the only people that were getting the most hurt was myself through everything. Um, So it definitely created chaos. And I think obviously like in some areas, the adrenaline, it was amazing. And I think the the chaos and the mess and the passion and the energy flow served me very well in a lot of areas and until it didn't. And I think when it didn't, it was a lot of just internal suffering from it.
1: So can you describe that turning point?
0: Yeah. Because I think sometimes things need to break down. Yeah in order to build up in a new way. And we fear the breakdown, yeah. but it's actually the biggest gift ever. So what was the moment you just, like Kim said, that made you go, okay, I,
2: I think I need to, to reorganize here. I mean, it was meeting you, Kim, that <laughs> you,
1: you,
2: you shined a light on everything that I knew about myself. Cause I, I think I have very high self-awareness, but it's different to have high self-awareness and then take action and make a decision that you want to change. You yeah. can be self-aware and use it as an excuse Saying, oh, that's just how I, like, yeah, I know that's how I am. And then there's right. difference in saying that's how I am and I'm not okay with it anymore and I'm going to do something about it. And to have an outside resource like you, Kim, to shine a light on things and articulate in a way that was never judgmental and it was always in a way of this is, this is what the perception of you is, like really understanding the perception versus what my intentions were. Once I learned that I could change the perception and make it more aligned with my intentions, I think that's really the turning point for oh me when gosh. I realized I could be in
1: control. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. That's so beautiful. Is So So it sounds like one of the, yeah, the first things, I mean, I remember we worked on is, is making sure that you're, like you said, your intention and who you want to be is aligned with how people are receiving you because there was a bit of a disconnect there. If you could break
0: it down a little bit, the changes you started to make before you responded or reacted to things.
2: Well, I think there's two things. The first piece is I started to, I always thought the world was the way that I saw it. And I always thought everyone's motivations were the same as mine. So if I wanted to be the top performer, if I wanted to work all the time, if I was willing to sacrifice all of these things based off my motivations of being a high achiever, I assumed that everyone saw the world through that lens. And that's just a very immature, that's just like a lack of wisdom. I -hmm. think that you have it as a young age that you think that because you feel this way, everyone else should as well. And you lead in that regard as well. So in the beginning, that's really how I led based off my motivations. I think the big turning point was when I realized how to lead with my intention and intensity based off everyone else's motivations. Mm. And I think that was probably the biggest turning point for me. um, Because like what I said about the suffering and everything like that, when you you can say things so you're blue in the face and you can drive and drive and drive and drive, but when you don't get the results... You're the one suffering from it because you just keep exerting all this energy in the wrong places. And then you're like mad at yourself. You're not getting the results. But really, what it is, is you just were not even paying attention to the human in the person that you were leading yeah. and realizing that what works for you is not working for
1: everyone else. And what matters to you does not matter for everyone else. It's like you flipped your whole paradigm on its head. I mean, that's. Literally. Yeah. And so, and so when you started doing that, it sounds like having more empathy and, and, not assuming that everybody else is thinking things the same way that you are, what was that like for you?
2: It was extremely hard. Mm -hmm. Um, I obviously like the whole, you know, the whole philosophy of like, you respond, you don't react. I mean, that was a, that was a, a big one for me that I had to learn, but it was hard at first. But then I realized in a very short period, it was actually quite easy. The only thing that was hard was training my brain to not react to everything.
1: Can you talk a little bit about how you did that? Because I mean, I know having worked with you, you started spending time in nature and journaling and meditating and like you did so many things. But what was that journey like for you so that you could be less reactive and more, you know, really exercising choice in how you respond to situations?
2: I mean, it all comes down to mindfulness. It's like everything that everyone talks about this day and age. And it's, everything talks about the importance, but until you put it into practice on a consistent basis, it's like you, you really cannot see the benefits. And mindfulness is so much, but I think it's all about the consistency of it. It's just like sales. It's just like any other thing that you're dedicating to, to see the results. It's not instant gratification. You have to do it every single day over time to be able to truly be in a different place in your life, in your mental state. But I think the, the main things is exercising, eating well, drinking water, journaling, being in nature, really having boundaries around technology. I think that's probably the biggest one for me, where you truly allow yourself time to reflect and think. Because when you do that, you start to see yourself very, very clearly and you're able to make changes. But I think those are the main things. I mean, and, and just doing it every single day. And truly, I think the biggest thing too is like learning that happiness is a choice. And no matter what you're doing in life, whether you're you know a professional athlete and it's your passion or if you're in sales or you're in writing whatever it may be it's like your job there's always going to be great things there's always going to be bad things yeah. and you and happiness is truly a choice and when you flip the script on your entire life and you look at everything from what you're grateful for in every single situation and you do that every day for 4 years <laughs> It changes wow. you. Your whole, it's it, how you look at the world completely changes. And they say either change your reality or change the way you think yeah. because either way they'll both change. So I'm so curious
0: when you got to be VP and you started working with Kim and you start doing this inner work and you start doing better with just responding rather than reacting and you're leading in a more powerful way, was this the... The, the beginnings of wanting to create a company that ran this way? was Would you say that Mondo was like totally people-centric when you started to have these realizations about yourself? Or was it the realizations around your own journey that brought this new way of
2: wanting Mondo to be? Like, was there a relationship between the two? For sure. I mean, I think there was two parts of it. I mean, one, absolutely the internal piece, but there was also external piece. So Our board was always very curious that we had really high turnover. That was a general sales culture. And it was very much numbers, 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 not as much about the human. It was more about the numbers. And our board always would poke holes there and spark the curiosity. And I think that as a leader, it's just so important to stay curious and like genuinely be interested in learning and yearning for answers. And over time, it started being like, okay, it was a congruent at the exact same time when I was going through my personal journey and the board was really talking about that and gave us brilliant direction. And I'll never forget in one of the meetings, our board member was like, you know, the upside down triangle is what everyone talks about, the Harvard Business Review. That's all they talk about. And once I did research on it, I'm like, okay, well, this is like, this is how I try to lead my teams. I think I do an okay job of my immediate team because I would just got into that role nationally. I was really having a smaller focus, but what I really challenged myself on is like, Am I actually behaving and modeling the behavior that's going to be scalable across all different people? so I think it was part external, and then my inside journey mm-hmm. um, got me accepting all the changes that does make a difference. but I will tell you when I got promoted to VP of sales, I was like ten percent performing in this in a in a people centric way uh-huh I'm, I mean it wasn't until probably. 18 months ago where it truly took transformation, where it became who we are today. So that's just the truth.
1: So, so talk about people centric, right? So how did a company go from being all about the numbers and having high turnover to suddenly this idea of upside down triangle, which for people who aren't familiar with that, it's this idea of servant leadership and putting your people first. Can you just say more about that? It really goes back to the
2: mentality that I had, though. I really It comes down to just how I thought as a sales manager that how I thought and my motivations were what everyone's motivations were. And then if they weren't getting that result, that they weren't good enough. Realizing that's not how the world works. That's absolutely not how human beings work. And being people-centric is truly saying, no, every single person has value. It's what does that value bring? What are their motivations? And then it's your job as a leader not to manage the metrics, but to lead that person to be able to reach the potential that they're able to get. And when you actually lead like that every single day, it's just transformation takes place because you see the benefits all over the place when you have more empathy. And when you start seeing people reaching new heights through a totally different way of Mm. coaching them and leading them based off what they want, not what you want, it starts to take shape. And then you start really looking at it being like, huh, and it's not only the results, but it's also the way I would be feeling. Because like I said, the suffering before, yeah. when you're, you know, beating metrics over people's heads and you're driving, 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 and you're not really looking at the human being. Again, when you're a good person, which I, I hope, that <laughs> I, I believe I am, I know I am, you don't feel good when you're not treating people right. And you know right. when you're not treating people right. But when you start seeing the results of treating people differently based off what they want, not what you want, I think everything just starts to take shape and then that's a ripple effect and the domino effect like we talk about all the time.
1: So Steph, but one of the things that we hear from a lot of your employees when when we first started working around this idea of being people-centric is, okay, so that means I have to be nicer to people, have more empathy, then how do I both do that? you know, and take into consideration this person their and what feelings. they're going through and their feelings. And at the same time, have a difficult conversation or hold them accountable for something that they said they would do that they didn't do. Right. Or make the numbers each month.
0: Like so many people think it's an either or. You either get the numbers and you're hard ass and there's kind of a lot of fear there, or you're really loving and empathetic, but forget about your results. Like, do you think there's a both and?
2: Absolutely. And I think – the main thing that people forget, again, going back to what I, how I was operating, most people are operating under the assumption that expectations were set, that both parties agreed to. And as soon as you flip the script and you say, okay, hold on, let's take a step back. What is it that you want? And how do we get you there based off what they want? And people are creating the goals for themselves. Then you're able to lead them based off their own motivations and what they truly want. And that's when you actually get the results. It's it's hmm. it's. That's it. And so much we're operating under the assumption, if someone comes in here, they want to be a high performer. They want to be a top performer. They value recognition. They value all of these things when if you're pushing them towards those the, the wrong things, you're going to not get the result that you're looking for. So it comes down to setting the right expectations based off yeah. what that person wants yeah, and then holding them accountable to what they say and driving them based off the motivations that they have. And that's how you That's really the biggest change that we've made on how you can still get results while being highly empathetic for people.
0: It's just that their source is coming from them rather than it getting assumed and placed onto them. So they feel like they're really in partnership with their journey and they're really in partnership with their outcomes and goals.
2: Correct. And I think empathy really is it's just seeking to understand before seeking to be understood. And Mm. I think that's really what empathy is. So it's okay, you're not hitting these numbers. Why? Yes. How can we help give you the tools to work on why we're not getting there instead of, it's not black or white. And it's also, it's progress, not perfection. And I think that's a big thing you have to let go of is that. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about the progress every single day of that, of that person. And so much goes into that person's, their inside journey is what goes into their external results. It's all encompassing. So it's really having an understanding of what, where that person is in their life and what they're ready to be able to commit to.
1: And what have been the ripple effects of adopting this people-centric culture and having more empathy and not making assumptions and asking people why? Like, what? How has that affected your culture and your performance?
2: I mean, performance obviously has been way up. I mean, retention has been super high from a standpoint of people are actually staying here. People used to look at this as a job, to as a a stop in their career path, and now people are looking at it as their career. And listen, again, progress, not perfection. We've made a lot of strides. We have so much work to do in terms of everything and more, but I do think the ripple effects have been just a little bit more balance of everything, just a little bit more balance of a healthy culture. It's still a high-performing culture. We still have incredibly intense, still have incredibly high standards. However. We welcome all different kinds of people with all different motivations, and everyone is accepted for who they are and what they bring to the table and what they want. And it's on us to figure out how to maximize their time here, and it's on us as an organization to give them the tools and the platform to want to stay here long term. And that's again flipping the
1: script. It's we work for them; they don't work. Oh, that is so fabulous! Yes, I would love for you to just talk briefly about because Johanna and I know some of the cool, incredibly cool things that you're doing at your company to help people realize their full potential. So I don't want to steal your thunder, but can you just share for people, because it's what you're doing at Mondo is so unique and cutting edge. Yeah. Can you give some examples of the kinds of things you're offering to people to help them be their most vulnerable and and best selves? Oh, gosh. Well, I think that we talk about our feelings a lot, um, which
2: (laughs) I think is Honestly, the greatest gift you could ever be because if you can come into the workplace every single day and truly have a chance at being your most authentic self, then you have a chance at actually achieving true results that are true to you. But I think, in terms of the different tools, I mean, there's so much. So, obviously, we have so many leadership retreats. I mean, we really use the word leader uniformly. It doesn't matter if you're in an individual contributor role, like everyone's a leader and you can lead anyone around you. So, I think that leadership, we've invested a lot, obviously, with you two scaling. Um, a program that's called Leadership Mastery, and it's it's really for anyone that's interested in leading others. From doesn't mean you're managing other people. It's just you're you're being better and you're leading yourself better. You're 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 leading others. So we invest a lot in resources around just leadership in general and what that truly means with the servant leadership in mind. So it's starting from a very young tenure at Mondo to really familiarize and socialize all of these terms and how we live. I think too people in leadership, they get individual executive coaching. And I think that what you guys can probably attest to is sometimes we need therapy and sometimes we Mm -hmm. need coaching. It's all encompassing based off the person. Some people need tactical things. And again, it's you customizing your approach to every individual based off their motivations and the results that they're seeking to get. I also think that we, you know, we offer headspace. So meditation, mental health is probably the most important thing in the workplace that people don't really talk about because it's still new, but Mental health drives the success or failure of each individual and collective teams. Um, When you sell people to people with people, you're literally just selling conversations. And it's very influential how much that makes a difference. So you just need to be in the best mental state to truly thrive. And that constant state of health is of the utmost importance. And I mean the it goes on the list goes on and on. Incredible. But can you can
0: you say a little bit about the Enneagram? Because I think you're one of yeah. the only companies. We love the Enneagram. We train in the Enneagram. For those of you who don't know, it's an amazing personality assessment. Does not put you in a box at all, but it really gives you subtle understanding of who you are, strengths and weaknesses. And Mondo, like Steph, take it yeah. away. Like it's you so it to the next interesting level. Yeah. what you've done with the Enneagram.
2: People are obsessed with the Enneagram. And- <laughs> So yeah, the Enneagram was introduced to us, gosh, a year ago, not even, like Mm -hmm. 10 months ago. And essentially all it is, is it's, it's, it's an assessment based off your behaviors, right?
0: Motivations. Yeah. your
2: Motivations, not your behaviors, which is so different because then you're really able to understand who you are. So there's nine different numbers and essentially every single one maps out exactly who you are. And We showed it at a management retreat and that's when we rolled it out and there was video and songs and everything and everyone was looking at the screen being like, that's the scariest thing that is me to a T. Wow. Everyone really understood each other so much more. But So we, we took that and we really ran with it. Every employee takes the Enneagram test. They learn their number and we've actually created an entire communications training on that leaders have to get accustomed to, and we're even taking it to a certification level within the leadership track with our career mapping. Where Amazing. you have to learn how to, there's special different types of communication styles based off each person's number. So we have an entire guide of literally,
1: oh, oh my gosh,
2: if you're managing a four, this is how you need to communicate to them based off their motivators. And if you're communicating with an eight, this is what you need to do. And if they act like this, this is why. And that it literally shapes. Incredible everything. And you're able to, you know, use it at scale. But what's amazing is everyone in the culture, like if someone's in a disagreement or there's an issue with, um, a deal falling through or something, people are like, well, you know, I'm a three. So this is why I'm acting like this. <laughs> I love or, it. You know I'm an eight. So like everyone just immediately uses it as their go-to To to seek understanding between one another. Yeah.
0: And it really comes down to any tool that can give you, like you said, an understanding into someone else's motivation or psyche can help you be such an amazing leader because it's not about you projecting yourself onto someone else. No, it's about you truly taking the time to understand who they are and lead from that place. That's what I'm hearing over and over again from you. That is what a people-centric organization is, is having the the skills and time and and care to get to know the people you lead in such a deeper way that you motivate them from, from where
2: they're at. That's what it is. That's what it is. That's what it is to a T. It's it's not about what you want. It's about what they want, but it's also about what is the objective? Like that's something I ask myself all the time. What is the objective of this conversation? Mm. And Whatever the output is, you have to understand that first. Then you need to understand the person you're working with. Say, okay, how are we going to get that result together? And it's just when you stop and ask yourself that question and then understand who you're talking to, your whole entire approach changes. You know one of the things you
0: mentioned when we asked you we asked uh, Stephanie a lot of questions before this interview just to get tuned into where she was at with her journey and you mentioned a big defining moment from high school where you kind of realized I cannot please everyone I cannot care what people think of me all the time and it sounds like that is a huge part of your leadership now when you have to make the tough decisions and disappoint people and stuff can you talk about this journey you've had with being a pleaser to where you are now? Because I think it's such a common, common thing for people.
2: Yeah, that was, I mean, that was obviously like a very big one for me. And I think that anytime when you're new in leadership, like if you read anything from John Maxwell, which we're like obsessed with John Maxwell here, all of his books on leadership and the different levels. And your first thing as a leader is you always want everyone to like you. And that's how you usually get by in it first by being likable. But that, that lasts you about like maybe eight to 12 months max. until so you need to level up and really start to add value to people outside of pleasing everyone because you can't please everyone for very long. I think that letting go of the outcome. And again, it's going back to what keeps me up at night. Like did I do everything in my power? And if I didn't, how can I get better? But letting go of, of everyone liking you, like that's you just have to focus on, did I do everything? Did I do the right things? Not that I right. did. Right. Did I do the right things? Did I have the right intentions? And again, can I learn from it and get better? And you have to disconnect from the result or the
1: outcome that comes from it. And you can only control yeah. so much. I love, cause it's so hard, right? I mean, it's something that so many people suffer from and struggle with is, is, disassociating a little bit more with worrying about how they land on others. And I so I love this idea of replacing it with the question, did I do my best?
0: Yep. And you said one time to me, Steph, what's best for the whole? What's best for the team? Oh yeah. Uh, that helps too in people pleasing because it's you you will disappoint people along the way, but if you're thinking of the greater good, those harder decisions sometimes you can make them with a little bit more confidence in your heart.
2: I mean, that's like really, that's where every decision that is made about people comes from. It is what is best for the team and what is best for the person, of course, and doing right by the person and everything. However, it's what is best for the greater good. And one person can make or break. You know, one of
0: the questions Kim and I asked you is, you know, what would you say your greatest legacy would be? And you said to help wake people up to be their most truest selves. And I know you can only do that. You, you don't really have the right to say that unless you are working on yourself every day. And I know you're humble about it and you, <laughs> you've said many times, I am not perfect and this is a journey for me, but it's become a purpose of yours for others. Can you say more about what you would like to share with our listeners about being authentic and waking people up to be their greatest selves and their greatest leaders? What does that mean to you?
2: So it's actually funny because I forgot about this until I was doing this. But there was this documentary, I think it was like in the early 2000s and it was called Waking Life. Mm -hmm. It is a documentary and it's like a cartoon and it's about dreaming and lucid dreams and what it means to be in alternate realities and whatever. The whole point though is about like, you're either walking through life asleep or you're walking through life awake. Mm. And I think that going to the notion of like happiness is a choice, if I can help as many people change the way, reframe the way they look at life, because I am like the most passionate person on the planet about life and living and <laughs> being happy and, and just like everything's the best thing ever, whether it's something I'm eating or doing or whatever, It also obviously everything's the worst thing ever too, working on that piece, <laughs> um, definitely extremes, but so many people just walk through life every single day Going through the motions. And I what I say at Mondo is, are you pushing around paper? Are you making an impact? Mm-hmm. And those are things that are true. A lot of people are just pushing around the, the motions of everyday life. They get up, they they go to work, they come home, they go to sleep. And it's like, what is the true meaning and intention behind your life? Because it's like an intentional life is one well lived. A, a life that is just lived is really not lived at all. So I think that if I can just help as many people realize how to find happiness in every situation and every obstacle and every opportunity, it will, it will make them have more gratitude every day because every day is a gift. And it's just, it doesn't matter what you're doing. doesn't matter what job, doesn't matter what role, doesn't matter what your results are. There's always good. And I think when you're living through the lens of what is good, you, you're just awake, you're feeling, you're happy, you're feeling something, you're not just numb all day. And I feel like- It's messy, but it's good. Yeah, it's messy and there's really (laughs) bad that comes with feeling and allowing yourself to feel, but you are living every second authentically. And that
1: is when you can truly realize your potential. It's so incredible. I, I I keep thinking gosh, if I were, you know, a 20 something, I'd want to come work at this company. Like so few leaders think about these things and care about making this kind of a difference in people's lives. Well, we
0: wanted to ask you, yeah. you know, what's next for your soul? Like yeah. your soul is on this 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 path, right? And you've done so much, but what do you think is is next in your own personal development? Like where are you continuing to push yourself to what are you striving for on your inside journey?
2: i mean so much i mean being present i mean you can start by i think obviously making a lot of strides in a lot of boundaries and and having having different things that you do to give yourself that gratitude but then i think taking to an entirely new new place i mean even the other day i was in my kitchen with my stepson and there was like this crazy moment i looked at him and i was like so like i'm alive i have a stepson he's standing in front of me he's talking about school and like in that moment, like I didn't see anything else around me or didn't think and like nothing else mattered because truly your loved ones are the only thing that matters at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. The relationships you have and like human to human interactions, the only thing that actually matters in your health. Like mm-hmm. you, yeah. have mm-hmm. that matter. And right. you have a roof over your head. Um, and in that moment, just having all of that in that moment, it's like, that's what I aspire to every day to have more and more moments like that. Mm-hmm. And they're few and far between. That happens once, maybe every couple of weeks where I'm that invested in a moment. Mm-hmm. I think so many times as humans, we're physically somewhere and our mind is somewhere else. And that's, mm-hmm. not, that's not truly being present. That's not truly being awake in life. That's being half awake, half asleep. And I think that that is the most important thing because time is so limited on earth. And we're, yeah. just, we're just not here very long. And yeah. we're always waiting for the next thing to happen and we're always looking for the next thing, but it's like, it's right in front of you and it's yeah. just everything. Everyone talks about that, but being about that, that's what my next part of my journey is. How do I have more
0: moments like that? Thank you so much, Steph. It's been it's been a journey for Kim and I to witness you, to be a part of the the growth and success of Mondo. It warms our heart every
1: single day. and, yeah. <laughs> and it And it's really cool from an outside perspective to see a company. I mean, when we walk through the halls of your office, the energy is palpable. Yeah. People are so on fire at Mondo and so passionate about – this mission that you're on and and this culture that you're creating and so it's really cool again kind of as a as a third party to witness your your ter- internal you know individual journey and this journey that your company is on so thank you thank you
2: you guys obviously were the people that started it because if it weren't for you there's no, there would be no chance that any of us would would be here that's the truth Well, it takes mm. a
0: special company to do the Enneagram and smash coconuts. Yep. We'll say more about that later. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So thank you for being our guest. We appreciated every moment.
2: Thank you so much. Take good care.
0: That's all for now. If you are inspired by this podcast, hop on over to InsideJourney.com for more episodes and to learn about our work with leaders and teams.
1: And make sure to subscribe to InsideJourney.com so you never miss an episode. As Brene Brown wisely said, when we deny our stories, they define us. When we own our stories, we get to write a brave new ending. We couldn't agree more. Own your story. Love your story. Share your story. You never know who it can inspire. Thanks for tuning in. Can't wait for more juicy conversations with you next
0: month.